1: You are listening to a White Phosphorus Pictures Podcast. Broadcasting under the night sky from the edge of an undisclosed jungle on the Gulf of Mexico, I'm Christopher Garitano, your voice in the night. For the next hour, allow me to be your guide into the bizarre unknown, the fantastic macabre, and together we'll journey to that borderland between fiction and reality, a place beyond all rational explanation. We are now off to the witch. Pet Cemetery, uh, what I said was, here's something that we don't talk about. People sometimes have kids who die. There are terrible things that happen, uh, and sometimes a child will die young. And in Pet Cemetery, that happened, and I followed the family through the grieving process, and then the father goes out to the graveyard and digs his, his son up and tries to bring him back to life. That can't happen. That is a total make-believe thing, just in case any of your viewers out there thought that they could dig people up and bring them back to life. It doesn't work that way. But in fiction, sometimes it can. And the important part about it, you know, I, I like to say that fiction is a lie, but good fiction is the truth inside the lie. That was a 1993 interview with the mighty Stephen King regarding perhaps his most terrifying novel, Pet Cemetery. It offered fantastical ideas of cursed ground and blasphemous human resurrection. It's a cautionary tale of grief and a work of fiction, yet it scared people to the bone since its release in 1983. Is there a hidden formula that no matter its level of unbelievability or stark reality that is consistently terrifying amongst horror novels and motion pictures? We'll have a discussion with tonight's guest after this commercial break. After these messages, we'll be right back. You are listening to the Off to the Witch podcast, where we explore that bizarre borderline between fiction and reality and all subjects arcane. Journey over to my YouTube channel and subscribe now at youtube.com slash at off to the witch for a variety of extras and special features including the off to the witch mini docs with further insights on many of the latest episodes as well as previews and behind the scenes of my forthcoming investigative series off to the witch presents as well as the anniversary edition of my motion picture documentary Montauk Chronicles and follow us on social media all links are available at linktree.com slash 7 G-A-R-E-T-A-N-O-7. And stay tuned for more Off to the Witch.
0: If unrelenting fear Hello? is your idea
1: Who's there?
0: of fun, if you have a need to be terrified, if your favorite dreams are nightmares, then this is the movie you've always dreamed of. can handle more than 100 jolts of 100% pure terror Then you might be ready for terror in the isles a totally unique non-stop roller coaster ride through the most frightening moment of the greatest terror films ever made in the islands. It's only a movie, but it's more than enough.
1: Welcome back to Off to the Witch. I'm your host, Christopher Garretano, and tonight's guest, Bob Broadmerkel, joined us once before for episode number 29, The Cursed Island. Have a listen to that episode to hear more of Bob's background and insight regarding his hometown horror stories. Tonight is a casual conversation about a possible formula, one that's somewhat enigmatic, but exists amongst the most terrifying horror movies and stories throughout history. This isn't an official analysis, but a discovery through discussion. This this episode is about something similar in a lot of the, or maybe all of the great horror films or any horror film that truly affected you. And we're obviously gonna begin in our formative years and your formative years. Um, w- in a subconscious way or a deeply primal way or something that's aligned with most human beings, that's something that just really got to you and that, that the only way we're going to find out if there is a similar formula is to discuss these things. And if we can say, well, yeah, that's what got to me as well. And I think there, there truly is a formula. Um, then we can discover that or at least discuss it. So, Going back to your childhood, um, if you can name a couple of the the very first horror films that you watched, or even the first horror film that you watched, that truly, truly scared you, and why?
2: Well, that's easy. Pol- Poltergeist definitely scared the hell out of me as a kid. Um, that's just one film. I think I was like five or six years old the first time I saw it, and... <sighs> like that one scene where the the brother gets like eaten by the tree just scared the crap out of me as a kid um i had trees outside my bedroom windows growing up and uh you know i stayed away from those 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 windows all the time it got to the point where that movie scared me so much that i was sleeping in my parents room uh so that movie just scared the crap out of me
1: you um, okay so here's a question so in regard to poltergeist when you were a kid did you consider that your house could be haunted before seeing that film
2: yes i did because also the whole scene with the clown really got to me too um i think i mentioned this on uh, the last episode i did with you i uh my mom had my room decorated with clowns as a kid so you can imagine being a kid and you see that you see that scene and then you you know you have to go into your bedroom at night and go to sleep surrounded by clowns um that whole psychological Mishap in my head of like looking at those clowns, and like I said, I swore I saw one move one night, it could be because I saw that film. who knows um but yeah, I definitely it definitely brought that concept into my head that maybe my house is haunted, that maybe everybody's house is haunted, and this is what happens to kids.
1: What you're describing is something that I think a lot of children obviously were and are afraid of because Holtergeist has scared generations of people. Do you think it's, when it comes to a movie, yes, it's those elements, okay, like the idea of something like a tree coming to life, or a spirit in your home that you can't see, but it can see you and you can feel it, or, you know, toys coming to life. Why is it that kids everywhere would be afraid of something like that?
2: Well, it's because kids kids have great imaginations, and you know if your toys come into life trying to kill you, it would, be, it would obviously scare the crap out of you. Most kids look at their toys as their comfort, their innocent, you know, innocent stuffed animals that would never hurt them, or you know their action figures of their heroes. Um, if they if they came to life and tried to kill you, like kind of like in poltergeist with all the toys like floating around the room and everything, that's traumatic because those are things that are those are the things that are comfort for you now they're your enemy
1: sure and it, you know you wonder imagine like Steven Spielberg and Toby Hooper and probably a couple of other people all sitting in a room together uh talking about this like you know this is why it's going to scare and if we do it just this way and you um you pace it just like this, you know, obviously that film was designed, especially Spielberg. I mean, like ILM, all those scenes were heavily storyboarded, well thought out, well-designed production design, the, you know, Jerry Goldsmith's music adding to that, all of this stuff is thought about beforehand. So they're getting into the head and the, and the psychology and the psychiatry of of the human being to scare them. Uh, So they knew what was going to scare us when we were kids and for the most part it it does scare us. I do have a question though have you've seen the Poltergeist remake right
2: yeah i have I have watched it once. It just didn't have the same effect on me as the original, though right, and it's, it's funny because I've gone back and watched the original a few times, and I say to myself, well what was I so scared of as a kid?" You know I laugh about it now, but back then it was scary you right. know that that movie kind of messed up my childhood a little bit, you know, the way I looked at things and stuff, so especially clowns. <laughs> Right, it's a
1: similar story, but in the execution, it's completely different between the two films. And the the remake is, you know, unwatchable in my opinion. Like I just, you can't sit through it. Um, but the original was pure, purely thought out. Even though it was derivative of uh, a Twilight Zone episode and a few other things, it was still had its own voice. And there were okay. See, it's interesting that you brought up poltergeist. There are so many things to to consider. You know, there's the haunted house, right? There's, like you said, the comfort of toys. You know, kids' toys are not <laughs> supposed to be scary to them. So the idea is we're going to turn these things into things that are terrifying to the children. You know, your dolls, your, your toys. And maybe it's done to death by now, and uh, people have to start thinking of something <laughs> else but back then it's it still worked beautifully and the way it way it was done the execution um can you talk a little bit about how the same story can be done by two different people and you you literally have one that's so effective and the other one that isn't like what what's the difference
2: I think a lot of it also has to do with the the timing um we have so much technology now um you know especially a lot of our a lot of like my children i know are they're basically like uh desensitized to a lot of violent things where I think we didn't have back then in the eighties we didn't have we weren't desensitized to a lot you know we didn't have as much information that we do now we didn't have the internet you know we only had like what thirty channels on the television set we had to go to the movies to watch us to watch a scary film in a dark theater um it's different now than it is then and there's a lot more things to think about too, um, when making a horror film now, you always have to think about cell phones where you didn't have to worry about that when we were kids. Cause nobody had a cell phone. Now it's almost like you have to, as a, as a filmmaker, you have to figure out, well, how are we going to eliminate the cell phone in the, in the film? Because people are always gonna be thinking, well, why don't they just make a phone call and get help? Um, you know, we have the tech, the technological differences is, was what does it for me. But I think in terms of poltergeist, it has a lot to do with being desensitized. Um, it, it worked for us back then because it was something that was psychological that we didn't, we didn't really want to think about. Now it's everywhere. All, a lot of power you have all these paranormal TV shows, you have you know all these things online. you have YouTubers like you know, going to these haunted places. So a remake of poltergeist isn't really scaring future generations like it did us
1: this current generation and not just the young people, but, um, everybody has changed a lot. And so I think this is in this day and age right now, why like conspiratorial and mind bending horror, uh, technology horror, all that stuff does so well because we are so immersed in that world. So you mentioned the cell phone. You know, Stephen King wrote a book called "Cell." Cell, the, yeah. Probably. The movie doesn't even compare to the book. No, the book was so much better. Yeah, um, and that's one one aspect of it. But you could take the modern technological horrors to a level; it, it's as far as your imagination can go uh, to a place that could be absolutely terrifying. Uh, you know, absolutely terrifying to this entire generation and and forthcoming, considering. How technology can be hijacked, how the mind can be hijacked, all that stuff. I mean, that, that, do you believe that that'll be a lot of modern horror?
2: Yeah, definitely. I definitely do think because, yeah, you have to consider the times, you know, especially with, like I said, technology. You're you know, horror, I feel like horror films are going to have to adjust to that.
1: I mean, unless sure. you're making
2: like a time, obviously, if you're making a time period piece, like it takes place, you know, back before cell phones existed. But for, yeah, modern day horror, you, you know, you're going to have to consider all all what technology has to offer and how you're going to work around that.
1: Right. I mean, if you look at, uh, let's say, Ridley Scott's Alien, the first one, still a terrifying movie because deep in its concept, you know, first of all, it looks beautiful. It looks better than most movies that take place in space that are all ripoffs of it even to this day, but they have like retro tech in it. So like a lot of the TV monitors are obviously from a different time, You yeah. <laughs> but, but it's great. It's such a great movie. Okay. I, I, you know, it's like almost an alternate reality. It's wonderful. But the idea that, you know, we finally do get to another planet and now you have this parasite. Okay. That you discover and it enters your body. And uses you as a host is a very real thing because it's happening right now to a lot of people, you know, here on this planet. So imagine an alien situation. And obviously they knew that back then. How did you, you, were you very young when you first saw Alien?
2: Yeah, I think I was probably, I probably sort of, uh, I didn't, I know I didn't see it in movie theaters. I know I saw it when it came out on VHS. Um, I was probably like maybe like nine or 10 years old, I believe. When I saw it and, you know, it was another it was one of those films that scared the crap out of me. All these films that take place in space on spaceships with aliens on them. I've always like freaked me out because it's the claustrophobia of not being able to escape. You're you know, you have no choice. You're you're stuck in this spaceship that's maybe a few hundred feet long and, you know, maybe a few stories high and you're trapped there with a monster, the monster that's trying to constantly kill you. Um, There's no way out unless you have some kind of escape pod, but then again, where are you going to go if you're in deep space? So you have no choice to, but to fight and try to kill this thing and take back, pick back your ship, you know, but it's like that you have that claustrophobic feeling. You're in the middle of
1: nowhere. Um, sure. And here's the thing, like that exact thing. It's very possible. No, I mean, like, What's the probability that eventually we're going to end up in a place that maybe we'd be a little too overeager and we graze or touch things that we're not supposed to, and then all then the body just begins to change and transform, get sick, you know, diseases that are not considered um, because we just think we're, in, you know, we're invincible, we finally got to this place, and are we not considering that? the parasites on this other place are going to be much worse than they are here you know
2: like, yeah exactly um it's it's and, it's a scary thing to think about you know um and it's yeah. even even like you know like meteors that crash to earth and stuff like that they have bacteria on them we hear about it all the time what's the you know what are the chances of uh, of us contracting something from out of space that you know can considerably wipe out the wipe out uh, human life on this planet or all life on this planet You know, it's just, these are, these are things that that I think about all the time that, you know, scare the crap out of me, especially with COVID. When we had COVID, you know, a few years ago, it was like, it's like, shit, all those sci-fi films that you were watching and books we were reading, you know, there's, it's kind of coming to life and, you know, I'm working in healthcare. I worked through that. I saw it firsthand what it could do to
1: people. Sure. I mean, how, you know, how close to the stand in, in many ways that really was you know, and is look where we are. We're not completely out of the woods yet.
2: Yeah. I thought a lot about that during COVID. It was like, you know, especially, uh, working in healthcare where I had to move bodies around and, you know, they were tractor the trailers behind the hospital that they were storing bodies in. And it's just reminds me of that one scene where, uh, you know, you see the garbage men, I think one of the garbage men was played by Stephen King and they're just picking up the bodies on the roads and putting them in the back of the garbage trucks. Um, you know, I basically saw that happen in in real life almost it was it's, it's a scary thing to
1: think about. Do you worry that that might happen again? I mean, you know, we've already been warned by the current president that it's it's a strong possibility, and other people have warned us that something much worse could be up the trail, so to speak.
2: It definitely could happen again. I think we'll be more prepared for it this time. We were not prepared for it at all when covid first hit um you know there was no we had no protection really in healthcare um the maintenance guys in in my place were making you know uh they were making gowns out of garbage bags for us to wear you know we were begging people um that had businesses like especially food businesses hey if you have a box of gloves you could donate we'll take it um you know if you have masks lying around we'll we'll take them but i we appreciate were our own you. masks
1: i appreciate you talking about those firsthand experiences, if you don't mind me asking, you know, um, for the people that believe that the whole thing was staged, you actually saw these things happening firsthand. You were in front of a lot of people passing away, correct? Yes. Uh, okay. A lot of people. Yeah. So what would you say to the people who, you know, cause I, I meet a lot of people who have a head full of conspiracies. And the problem is there are conspiracies for sure but you can't just believe everything that's being said that is a conspiracy. You've got to understand that, you know, the magnitude of of things that happened over the last few years might be a mixture of of, of some things that aren't true too, you know, just so people c- could control certain parts of the world. But, but people dying from COVID was a very real thing. Um, would you... So in regard to things like... George Romero's The Crazies, you know, The Stand. I know there were two versions of that. I, I wanted to say this because I know a lot of people, they feel like everything was staged. And I, again, I do believe there is conspiracies attached to COVID-19. There, we have been told lies, but I don't believe that we've been lied to about people dying.
2: I can tell you this, Chris. You know, I work in a nursing home. We don't know how it got in there. You know, we have our we have our theories about how it got in there, but we really don't know how it got in there. And it ripped through that nursing home like you would not believe. And we didn't know what to do. There was I mean, you could say there was a lot of misinformation about it, but it's just because we didn't know. We didn't know what we were dealing with. We had people in there like, you know, healthcare workers that some of us were getting like really ill. And then somebody like myself was completely fine through the whole thing. And. You know, I heard everything from, oh, it's where you're, you know, something to do with your DNA and something to do with your, you know, your bloodline, uh, some people are going to get it worse than others. Uh, my, my wife lost her 60 uh, year old cousin, uh, you know, he just got it and passed away. Healthy guy uh, that's crazy. I mean, we lost, I think at the nursing home, something like 27 people, I believe it was in a matter of a month uh, and we just we didn't know what to do we didn't have we didn't have the right ppe to to wear um you know there was no obviously there was no medicine no vaccine at the time you just had to go to work every day and and try your best to you know prevent it from happening you know wiping down like especially my department i do all the environmental stuff we had to keep everything clean the best we could um we didn't, we didn't we didn't know that it was airborne at the time we didn't know how it was spread we just knew that we had a job to do and we had to try to beat this thing
1: it makes you wonder you know and I I'm a firm believer in this I feel like a lot of writers or designers or movie makers storytellers are the modern day prophets like you know Nostradamus was believed to be a prophet Uh, And then eventually it just kind of segued over to writers, you know, like H.G. Wells and Jules Jules Verne and people like that to start and then moving its way forward in time, uh, that someone like Stephen King is a literal prophet of modern times because so many things he's writing are coming to pass. I mean, even maximum overdrive, maximum overdrive could happen. No. I mean, like today, especially with cars that are now-
2: Driving themselves, like Tesla and all that stuff. Yeah. Right.
1: I mean, imagine that scenario and all of the other devices that are, that could be controlled remotely. Um, You know, I know that uh, Joe Hill was considering making another version of Maximum Overdrive that would be very much like what you and I are talking about. Well, that would, that
2: would be pretty cool, actually. (laughs) King's son directing a film.
1: (laughs) Okay. So now you were speaking about fun horror films like that, even though they, they, they're, even though they're quite scary in their own right. Uh, at least, if you think about it, really happening. Is there a fun horror film that came out that also kind of scared the hell out of you, and you thought could happen? Killer clowns from outer space. All right, now you <laughs> you could take the floor on this one and tell me what why you, as a kid, you believed that killer clowns could happen, and I bet you could
2: anyway. <laughs> I could. <laughs> well, I don't know if it could happen, but uh, you know that would be my worst nightmare come true. Because aliens scare the crap out of me. And clowns just put the two of them together. (laughs) You know, and uh, have them turn me into cotton candy. That's kind (laughs) of freaked me out.
1: (laughs) Okay, so that's totally interesting to me. So you brought that up. Now, all of the kids from our generation, when we were kids, we were kind of primed to be afraid of interdimensional creatures. Now you have an entire generation of adults, and I speak to a lot of them, that believe, and, and, and again, science could lend to this, you know, um, that creatures or beings are now coming out of these other dimensions. Now we are the generations that grew up watching stuff like that in fiction or so-called fiction. And now you have generations of people that are, that believe that they have seen these things. How do you feel about that? And again, I'm, you know, I'm not uh, trying to push you in any particular direction, you can tell me. However, you want to tell me. So I'm glad you actually asked this question. Recently, I was watching on
2: YouTube um, about people who experience near-death experiences, and one of the one of the, this one guy was talking about the movie Communion with uh, Christopher Walken.
1: Right, um, that's about Whitley Strieber.
2: Yeah, so in that in that film, there's a scene where. Christopher Walken, I guess he wakes up or whatever and the the gray aliens are there and there's like these little like dwarf looking guys. Um, they're all black and he starts dancing with them and they look like they're all having fun. So this guy was saying that when he saw that film, it reminded him of a near death experience he had. And he was saying that he I think he he like uh, died died like a drown. I think it was a drowning or something like that. And he said he felt his soul leave his body, and he shot across space and time. And he ended up laying down, he found himself laying down in this hospital room, surrounded by these little, got little guys, about two, three foot tall, you know, short, stubby, dwarf-looking um, aliens, and gray aliens as well. And then there was a, a human-like figure there with like long hair, long gray beard. And when he woke up, they were all surrounding him, and he was very scared and very confused. And one of the little uh, dwarf creatures said, oh, my God, he doesn't remember us. And he said, to him, what are you talking about? And they all started laughing at him. And then the human-like figure said, we're your family. You just forgot because you went on a trip and we helped you through your trip. And they started to explain to him how he, you know, he was living this life on earth that he was transported to earth to learn about experiences, um, feel pain, feel pleasure, um, what it's like to eat food, what it's like to, you know, have fun and experience all these different things that we experience as a human being and that they were his real family um but there was a complication in them sending him to uh to earth basically to to live this human life and uh he wasn't done yet and they had to send him back so he laid back down in the hospital bed and they pulled what he said was like a like a skin covered blanket over him and he shot back across the un- universe back into his body here on earth so my whole thing is I I'm thinking about this and I'm saying to myself you know it's weird. We talk about interdimensional beings and all that, and people talk about the gray aliens all the time. Uh, people who have been abducted by aliens say that they've been strapped down to a table and experimented on. What if, what if really this is what's going on with us? Like, what if we 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 do have another family on the other side of the universe, and this is almost like kind of like the the Matrix in a sense. Um, we're coming back here to just experience what it's like to be a human being, but our real lives are. Or when when we pass away we go back to our, our original family
1: I mean we must consider that as a possibility we have so much of it in story that we that we tell it's almost like we inherently know and then the other thing is th- that's curious about this is that perhaps part of the rules of the game or the ride as Bill Hicks said you know it's a ride that we're on um would be that we're not allowed to know until it's over because none of us have been able to fully discover or decipher it. Like we get close, we have ideas, we hypothesize, but you know, like you were saying, it's when the ride is over, that's when you'll see everybody. And, uh, maybe it isn't, it's already in our folklore because people say, you know, Oh, when I'm dying, you're not dying when I'm dying, I see all my relatives welcoming me. Well, maybe we're getting off the ride and everyone's like, what did you think? Imagine it's like, oh my God! Imagine if it's like that.
2: Yeah, no, it's such a mind-blowing theory, Uh, you know. And I was, I'm listening to this, and I'm like, the first thing that came to my head was, you know, alien abduction. Like, what if alien abductions people experiencing? Maybe it's like a glitch in the system, you know, and uh, they're really not trying to experiment on us. Maybe it's just the way this system is used. They hook stuff up to our spiritual bodies to make us experience what we experience on Earth, and it's just them fixing it and we're waking up during it. I mean, it's a, it's a mind blowing theory, but, uh, you know, Hey.
1: Yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, no, it's certainly a lot to think about and not a, not a bad thought, you know, because I am not part of the camp of people that believe when it's lights out, that's it. Like, it just doesn't make any sense. Er a million other things that make sense before that would, sorry. I just don't buy it. Um, and so, okay. I mean, we. It, it, for some reason, I thought of that uh, slasher film uh, from the '80s, April Fool's Day. Where yeah, I, I remember that film, and, right? And so, like the main characters think that everyone's dead. They get into the room, and everyone's alive at the end, and it's one big joke. I don't know this whole, that whole scenario just made me think of that for some reason. It popped into my head. So. Um, <laughs> Yeah, but reeling it back to earth for a second. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and again, I'm, uh, you know, I've thought about this. I believe that there's much more, and and that we are, you know, like when Robert Roger Ebert, uh, the film critic, died. You know, he had said before he actually expired, he was like, "Oh, this is all one great big hoax," and he said that to his wife. Now he couldn't speak, but he had typed it in his little machine, and then he died. And he was a big fan of that movie, Dark City. Which it yeah, was, he but, was. You know, aliens hoaxing the human race. But. Yep. Okay, but one thing, one movie that, you know, um unanimously everybody uh can agree upon that is terrifying and also one of the greatest movies ever made. Some people say it's the greatest movie ever made is Spielberg's Jaws. And um there that movie was so perfectly done, and even in its—I don't know why everyone says that the shark looks fake. It never did to me, you know. And when people bring it up and say, "Oh, it looks so fake," it's like pff, that was never a thought that crossed my mind. I bought that movie one hundred percent, regardless of the shark looking fake or not. And we're talking about the only jaw, in my opinion, Jaws one. The first not one. Talking yeah. about, you know, I know I know the Italian uh, part five was the best one, but <laughs> Jaws five. A lot of people don't realize that one was made.
2: <laughs> I think I saw that once and I don't even remember anything about it. <laughs> no, they
1: just they didn't they didn't respect copyright law, so they were just like, Yeah, let's make a Jaws five. <laughs> but no, the first Jaws, do you remember when you first saw it? I know I was
2: young and that first scene was was terrifying um with that with the girl swimming at night and she just gets pulled down, and you don't even know what's what did it to her first you know what grabbed her and honestly, I think that's the reason why I don't like swimming in the ocean, especially the Atlantic Ocean here on long island my my wife makes fun of me all the time because I hate the beach, but my thing is I don't like because of that movie, I want to be able to see. And swim in clear water. I want to be able to see what's below me. And you know, you've lived on Long Island. You you swim, you swim the beaches out here, and you know, it's the water is very sandy, very brown, and you can't see anything. So, whatever's underneath you, you don't know. You don't. Know. And we've had a lot of shark attacks here on Long Island in the past few years. And I, you won't catch me out in the ocean. No way. Um, I I'd rather prefer to swim in a lake. Um, I, I go to Lake George all the time. You could practically see to the bottom of that lake if you go to the northern part and I'm perfectly happy swimming there, but you won't get me swimming in the ocean because of that movie.
1: But do you ever wonder, even swimming in Lake George, that there could be something in there that could take you down and devour you?
2: Well, you know, they do say that it does connect to Lake Champlain and they have the champ, the Lake Champlain monster, but you know, I don't think the chances of that happening are very slim. Uh, you know, I think the worst that could happen to you in Lake George is you get uh bit by a like a alligator gar or something like that. <laughs> you know, maybe an otter comes out of the water, but
1: you no, know, take, taking that to a subject I've been covering in one of my latest um, show episodes uh, are gators, gators and crocs. You know, but the the concept that something is in the water you know in the dark areas beneath you while you're doing something as uh innocent as swimming that you could be devoured by a hungry you know savage monster that doesn't give a shit if your um you know your feelings just yeah. sees you as as food as food yeah, yeah. And, i had a
2: uh, i had a friend that I, that I grew up with who actually got bit by a lemon shark and it uh ripped out the whole back of his calf And the the scar that he has there now is actually of the shark's mouth. You could actually see the teeth marks, the jawline, and everything. Uh, You know, just to add fear to the factor of me not wanting to go in the ocean was, you know, having a a friend that when he was two years old got his calf ripped out by a lemon shark. You know, it's...
1: It's it's horrific, yeah. Do you think that... Now, that's an old fear, but that is deep inside of us. In other words, you know... It's a primal fear, yeah. Yeah, yeah. when mm. we were... You know, early man was uh, much more prone to be eaten by something than we are now. Uh, you know, I mean, disease can eat you and and parasites and all kinds of things can eat you from within. But, you know, to be devoured by a, a giant animal or a giant fish is is kind of rare unless you're naive of the wilderness um but we still if we see it and we read about it it's absolutely terrifying and you know these days i do my best to avoid going into any of those situations you know like i know how dangerous the wilderness can be and some people just aren't like they you know i i've seen people you know having instagram right you're seeing people alone, like young fragile uh females out there to get their selfies in the wilderness um have no idea what they're up against you know they they don't they're not not really thinking about it and it's uh it's odd how 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 these horror films have been out there yet I don't know partially I think some people are more afraid of the supernatural than they are of the natural,
2: yeah. Well, it's like um, I met this guy a few weeks ago um, at the, a brewery that I go to. It's Brewery 27A here on Long island, the island of Lindenhurst. Great place. I'm going to give him a little plug there, Chris. I hope you don't mind. No, <laughs> um, but I met, don't mind. I met this, I met this guy there. He came in one night. He was from the most northern part of Alaska. I forgot the name of the town, but he said it's the same town that the that they based the movie uh, 30 Days of Night on, that vampire film. Uh, and he was telling us about his life there. And uh, one of the first things he brought up is that the sun will not rise there until April 10th. So it's in complete darkness. Um, I think he said it's a town of around seven, 800 people. Um, And one of the biggest problems they have in that town is polar bears and grizzly bears. Uh, The polar bears are coming right into the town sometimes and just walking around looking for the next meal. Uh, He was telling me that they actually build the houses With two front doors. So they have a front door. That is out. Like they have two front doors. So it's a front door. Then there's like a little foyer. And then the second door. To go into the house. Now that first front door. It's actually against the law. In that town to lock that door. Because of polar bears and grizzly bears. You have to give people a place to escape to. And in that little foyer. Between the two doors. There must be a loaded gun at all times. And this is for people to be able to protect, to hide in there if a bear comes into town and to be able to protect themselves if the bear tries to get through that first door. Um,
1: That's amazing. This,
2: this guy was a, he's part of a search and rescue team with the helicopter. And like you said, you, you see these people, these people on Instagram in the middle of nowhere taking selfies, you know, some kind of animal behind them when they get too close to an animal. He was saying a lot of people like to go up there, especially hunters that, you know, these wealthy people from California come up there with their rifles and wanting to shoot themselves a reindeer and, you know, they want to go live out in the wilderness for a few days. Uh, and a lot of people go missing. And most of the time they go missing, he he was telling us he would find body parts just in the woods somewhere, and they knew a polar bear had gotten hold of them and killed them, or a grizzly bear. He had just one incident, he was telling us, he actually showed me a video It was a father and son that were in the wilderness there. Um, They came across a cave um, and I believe it was a grizzly bear came out of the cave, attacked the guy, ripped his nose and his jaw off. And his son, the guy actually got lucky. He was able to reach for his handgun and put the gun underneath the uh, bear's jaw and pull the trigger and he got one round off and he killed the bear. But his son, his son actually recorded him and he was talking. The guy had no jaw, no nose. Like all you just saw was his eyes and just blood everywhere. And he was able to talk because he was, he was like a EMS. He was EMS. So he knew how to clear his throat to be able to talk. And he was actually giving his last will and testament in the video to his son. Wow. And he, he ended up living. They, he ended up, uh, get, um, having all these major surgeries to repair his face, um, I know he said something about they grew his nose with using um, stem cells. He had to go to Sweden for that, and they were able to regrow a nose and and implant it on his face. And I saw before and after pictures of of it, and they did a really, really good job. Um, He even has the uh, bear—the bear hide—is the rug in his his living room now, too, and it's still got the bullet hole in his head. But it's just crazy that, like you know, we think we're safe living in cities and towns here, you know, here in the lower forty-eight, but. These people, they're they're not at the top of the food chain. There, the polar bears and the grizzly bears are. After these messages, we'll be right back.
0: There are those who say that this quiet town holds many secrets. Legend has it that beneath this very tower, a dark force had its eyes set on the children.
2: We were told that what was going on there was for the benefit of humanity.
1: What would you say to the people who say, well? All these children were kidnapped and murdered and you were a part of it what would you tell them did
0: you i tell did them? approve of it there was nothing i could do about it
1: they wanted a large number of programmed boys to be used for mind control operations
0: and there are others who say it's still happening to this day
2: i don't know i for myself find it a little suspicious that All the evidence has been conveniently destroyed.
0: Let's put it this way. If you're sitting there with 20 guns pointed
1: at you, what are you going to do?
0: Whatever the hell they want!
1: Watch Montauk Chronicles now for free on Tubi, Plex, Roku, and available for download on Amazon and Apple TV.
0: This series presents information based in part on theory and conjecture. The producer's purpose is to suggest some possible explanations, but not necessarily the only ones to the mysteries we will examine.
1: Most of us don't understand what that's even remotely like, and as you know there's been so there's been a lot of animal gone awry movies, and I do touch upon that mostly crocs and Gators and poisonous snakes and uh, monsters among us, which is the second chapter of this new series i'm making um, and I talked to a lot of people that were attacked by these things, and you know families of people that uh, who had someone die in an attack and but You know, it's a different reality. You know, you and I uh, grew up in the suburbs of New York City. And, um, you know, it's a different type of jungle. It really is. New York City is in itself, and even the suburbs are. We had other things we had to deal with, but not these giant uh, animals that could devour us. However, you move to a place like Florida, where I'm at now, and the game changes completely. You could be walking your little dog in the backyard, and a gator could kill you both. And it happens. It happens all the time out here. Um, every year. So even you know, a few of incidents are more than enough. So it's it isn't it's a reality out here. And some of the things I learned also about crocs killing people where um this um uh, uh, conservationist and biologist John Brugan, who I spoke to, were dealing with people in in Africa that were being stalked by crocs. Their families, were, kids were being devoured. You know, grown men were being devoured. And he was teaching them, even though he's a contrava- conservationist, even though he's a, a conservationist, he was teaching them how to deal with them and, and kill them. And you yeah, know, I, I saw yeah. I saw
2: something on TV about that not too long ago.
1: He may have been in that.
2: Yeah, it might have been him because it was a yeah, it was like a, a tribe or something that lived along this lake, this lakeside. I think it was close by, that connected to the Nile River. And this Nile crocodile was just coming into the village and just grabbing people.
1: It's amazing, yeah. yeah. And and again, we've, you know, there are some great alligator films. The one with Robert Forrester is fantastic. You know, that's the one we, I think, you grew up watching too. It was a drive-in movie, but it's great, you know. And what did we have, the, uh, the 430 movie in the early 80s where they would play movies like that. But there was this urban legend in New York that if you know you flushed a gator down the toilet, toilet, yeah, <laughs> right, and they would they would survive in the sewer systems. There's truth in that. And yeah, it,
2: recently, they 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 found the gator not too long ago, a year or two ago, somebody had let one go um, out east here on Long Island. I think it was in Shirley or, or Riverhead or somewhere, and they found they found the uh, like a, it wasn't a big alligator, but it was you know roaming around in the in the woods out there. And now they have it in the aquarium.
1: <laughs> oh, well, they're lucky they got him in the aquarium because there are that's the thing you have to fear now that would bring true, I think, an anomalous animal in in your area used to be my area too um, killing you. And that's a horror story in itself. So there are eco-terrorists out there, um, one I won't name that we both know was kinda of telling me, hey man, I I, I put some snakeheads in the pond just to see what would happen. And it's like, no, 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 you don't do that. Those things are vicious. They get huge, you know. Uh the snakehead fish, they're monsters. Yeah. Um, well, I know
2: down in Florida where you live, you have a big problem with invasive species. Yeah. You know, yeah. With the the pythons and the iguanas and all that stuff too.
1: They're all over the place. Yeah. And um that's the thing that people don't consider is that you can change the whole thing. I mean imagine if you will you know, one of obviously just from folklore and, and movies, I know I know there are a lot of poisonous snakes and probably much more deadly than the black mamba, but just hypothetically speaking, if someone were to take a bunch of black mamba and let them go somewhere here, like in Florida, what would people do?
2: You yeah. Know? You'd have a lot of deaths on your hands. Yeah.
1: And They'd have eat. to send hunters out. Hey, we're yeah. inventing some new story ideas right now. <laughs> But you know unfortunately they end up in very trashy movies <laughs> like Yeah. All right, did you see Cocaine Bear? I
2: was just going to bring that yeah. up. Yes. I, <laughs> I think uh, I'm the only person that actually hated it. I thought it was horrible. <laughs> yeah.
1: Okay. Yeah, I don't I I didn't really know. Okay, I I didn't really know what to make of it um because in one aspect it is a bad movie and it's it's a joke. But then again, there was something very unsettling about it. I think what was unsettling is that they were making a very serious thing into a comedy. And it was extremely disturbing for some reason. It got to me that they were taking this thing and they're they're laughing, belly laughing about it at you as filmmakers. But it's not really funny.
2: <laughs> no, it's not. I See, I, that was my thing. I did not find the film funny at all. And- I didn't really, like, do a lot of research on the story, but I'm like, how horrible could it be if a bear got a hold of cocaine? Like, what exactly would it do to people? You know, would it just, you know, do nothing or would it actually go after people? Because, you know, cocaine enhances your senses and makes you crazy. I don't know what it could do to an animal. I don't know if it's different, but, you know, uh, I just thought the whole film was ridiculous.
1: <laughs> I, no, I did. And I think for the the two um, ideas clashing so hard, at least for me, maybe people are just so desensitized to death, but I, you have seen death. I have seen death and injury and you have seen death and injury. So when you watch something now, I think maybe we're a little more sensitive to death, um, I don't know. I didn't, I, after experiencing death, I didn't really become desensitized to it. As I get older, I feel terrible when I pass by an accident. I'm not voyeuristic, you know, I'm not like, Ooh, let me see if someone got killed. Like I feel terrible for anybody that was hurt, you know? Um, yeah.
2: It's, I feel the same way. Um, and actually recently, um, I experienced something, uh, that kind of disturbed me. Um, I was showing a picture of a uh, couple that was decapitated here in Ocean Parkway on Long Island. And I got really upset with the with the person that showed it to me. Um, you know, I was like, you know, this is not something to exploit. And, you know, like, and, and you know, shame, shame on whoever took the picture of, of, of them, too. Um, it was a horrifying image. I mean, the, the guy had no head and his wife pretty much had a wire going through her throat. And you could see that you could see it you could see the fear on her face on 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 her dead body, how her body was pressed against the seats and this cable cutting across her 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 throat. It was horrifying, and you know people were laughing about it, and I know it made its way onto the internet too, but I'm like that's that's somebody's life that was just taken, you know from an accident. It's not something that should be exploited.
1: You're bringing up so many incredible things to talk about. Um, so, okay, this is real, this pertains to everything we're talking about tonight. And I had some uh, another horrific thing that I saw that people were laughing at that I wanted to tell you about, but that, what you just mentioned says it all because these movies are designed to affect us and they do for, for reasons. If, if, if we're in touch with life now, you've seen a lot of things in your life. I have too. And it's almost like I was, I would have been desensitized to that photo. I don't know if I would have made fun of anybody in a car accident back then, only because I experienced tragedy at a very young age. But I wouldn't, it would not have made me as sad and empathetic as it does now when I hear about somebody getting hurt, you know? Um, And only because I've felt so much since then that I, how could you, it's such a private and tragic moment that so many people felt pain from the image that people are exploiting online and passing that picture around. And perhaps they haven't felt pain yet. What do you think about it?
2: I think, you know, it's more of, it doesn't pertain to them. Uh, you know, it's not somebody they knew it's not, you know, it's not an experience that they had. So in a way to them, it's, it means nothing. It's just another, it's just another death. It's just another car accident, you know? And like you said, we, we see it in, in the, in the films that we watch, the horror films that we watch, the horror films that we make. Um, but I think and it's kind of what we're talking about right now. Horror always has a message a uh, horror film is not effective if it doesn't have a message if it doesn't pertain to social issues or what's going on in the world right now um it's it's our experiment in fear you know that's what horror films are they're there to it's almost like you know you, you're entertained but you're also in a way you're you're making people think you're educating people about certain things you're opening people's minds that's what that's what horror has always been to me if i can't get if i watch a horror film and i can't relate to it in some way then it's it's not a it's not a good horror film to me. Um so that's what I think it is with people like, you know, that exploit images online and they think it's funny. It's just that they really haven't gone deep into that experience yet. And I'm not necessarily not necessarily saying that they're bad people for doing it, but I just feel like people won't think in terms of you know, when bad things happen, if it doesn't affect them, then they, they have this attitude like, who cares?
1: Yeah. But then there are those of us, I didn't know the people in the car. I know what you're saying. That's exactly, and you're exactly right about those particular people. Then there are those of us who, who you do know, care. our heart goes out to whoever's yeah. hurting from that and, and the people that it happened to. A similar image I saw, uh, not human, but two animals. There was a, a big gator attacking a turtle. And it was a female turtle. It was probably one of the most horrific things I've ever seen. And it, um, there were a lot of people just giggling about it. And the alligator was biting onto the turtle's undershell. And then eggs started pouring out of the female turtle. I had to, I, it came across me because these things are like shoved at you on Instagram. I look up animals a lot. And then sometimes that garbage shows up. But then again, it, is it garbage? It's nature. And yeah. You know, the alligator has to eat, I suppose. <laughs> it's it's a monster, you know, but there are people that love alligators too, and try to show you that some of them are not these vicious beasts. They just they have to eat, they eat their thing and and nature is violent.
2: It is violent, yeah. And I was just gonna say that.
1: It's not a Disney film. So um so I tried to look at it in two ways, but I couldn't get that image out of my head. But there were some people sympathizing for the turtle, you know, um, and that the fact that it, you know, it was going through this horrible torture of being eaten alive. And that is why something like Jaws terrifies people to this moment to be in the position of the turtle or in the position of Quint at the end of Jaws or the Chrissy character that you mentioned in the beginning, you know, being pulled down into the dark water because she just goes for a swim with her, you know, new boyfriend. Um, that's happened to people that's the thing it's very it's very real now all of this interdimensional stuff and the hauntings i also believe are real but these things are you know in some of our backyards i mean you live on an island where someone can get eaten by a shark or other creatures right um if you go into the right side of the water uh and out here that can happen that happens a lot and other places in the world, you know, into the wilderness, you're eaten by a bear. I don't know about a cocaine snorting bear, but. <laughs> so, yeah,
2: you know, it's, it's funny you brought up, the, you know, you see those videos online of, of animals eating other animals. Uh, I don't know why this bothers me so much, but I can't stand watching videos of like people f- like flaying fish or like uh, cooking like, you know, Cooking crabs and stuff like that, boiling crabs alive, like I that bothers me so much. And I think what bothers me about it is, I say to myself, "Well, what if, what if there's a higher species, or that that would do that to us? Look at us as food." You know, it goes. You know, you you think about Twilight's the Twilight episode to serve man, for example. Um, it it just that's like. It, I feel bad for those for those animals when when like we're the ones cooking them and eating them and like you show these people like grabbing these fish out of like a fish tank you know in a restaurant and just like slicing it up right there alive. You know, you look at films like you know Texas Chainsaw Massacre for example, the whole chili thing. It just freaks me out. And uh, yeah,
1: yeah. And see, that's the that's thing. It could happen
2: to us too, you know.
1: <laughs> oh, 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 It it probably does in a way. I mean, it, you know, we. We disregard the possibilities. We turn a blind eye to the, to the horrors that we cause, you know, animals and even our own people, our environment, everything. We, we turn a blind eye to a lot of the things we do. Um, we ignore what we do. And you had mentioned just now, uh, you talked about um, if a higher species, a higher intelligence used us as food perhaps used us as a host you know we talked about alien earlier but john carpenter's the thing i mean i think it's a great example of something very elaborate and different it's not just a disease that's an intelligent alien that that shapeshifts and uses us absorbs us and oh wow does that offend our senses it's terrifying but what what if you put yourself in the position of the crabs that are being boiled or like you had just said you know, f- flip it around, put yourself in the position of these animals that we slaughter constantly for our food, for, you know, and, and then it, that we don't need to in a lot of cases, you know, we could eat something else, but we decide to torture these things and slaughter these things and take these things from their environment. Uh, and, and And again, I'm not making protest right now. I'm just discussing the psychological effect of something, let's say, like the thing, you know, Why is that so horrific? It was so horrific that it almost shut down John Carpenter's career. It wasn't a bad movie, and by any sense, yeah, it's it's one of the greatest ever made, in my opinion. It's right up there with Jaws, but it was so horrific and so offensive to human existence, you know.
2: Yeah. Well, it's Um, like that one scene where they're all in, you know, they're all gathering around to try to figure out who who has the thing in them. And they're taking the blood and they're putting it in, like, the little Petri dish and, what are they, like, electrocuting it or something, right, if I remember correctly? And then, like, the Petri it's dish was, heating like... Up
1: a heating up a wire.
2: Yeah, it was, like, a wire. Yeah. And, like, the thing would just, like, explode. And then they knew who had it in them and who didn't. Like, that scene itself where they're just going around, putting that wire, you know, in each thing. And, oh, it's it's scary. And, uh, you know, thank God at the end, uh, Kurt Russell's character had the, had the sense to just... Uh, you know, kill everything around, including himself. So,
1: well, I have, have an odd feeling we're going to see another one. I know that the that Blumhouse has been coaxing John Carpenter to do a sequel. sequel. I, he has talked that he has certainly considered it, and obviously, Kurt Russell is having another golden age in his work. You know,
2: mm. Um wasn't the remake like kind of like a soft reboot though? Also, well, I mean, I only pre- watched it. It was I a prequel. Prequel. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. I only watched it once and I kind of just slipped my mind. I just remember the ending.
1: I didn't think it was awful. You know, it just didn't have, every filmmaker has a voice and every filmmaker has depth. And I think that the person that made the prequel cared enough to try to make it like John Carpenter the best he could, but he's not John Carpenter and he's not John Carpenter in 1982. Exactly. And, And John Carpenter in 1982 Knew he was making a masterpiece, along with Rob Bottin, Dean Cundy, you know, uh, Ennio Morricone doing the score, Carpenter doing stuff. It's like they knew they were making something, but when the studio sees it in the end, and obviously they saw it before they distributed it, they must have thought it was good. And then all of a sudden, it just starts offending audiences. The summer of ET, you know.
2: Yeah. <laughs> so I remember, uh, I remember that box cover in the video store too, growing up with the uh you know yeah it, it was like basically like uh the the coat that they were wearing with like a light shining out of it right and like it was shining in the thing i remember that like that box cover always scared the crap out of me as a kid and like, oh. i finally got the courage one day to rent it
1: <laughs> i mean it's one of the most violent movies ever made if you really think about it it's just wow you know what happens in it i know it's a it's fantasy violence but it's still violent and, and very gory, and um. I was afraid of my family dog after that movie, you know? I oh, was, yeah. You know, I was worried that the thing was in the dog.
2: <laughs> it was a, What was it, a German Shepherd or Belgian Malinois, right, in the film?
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: yeah. Is, that, is that the type of dog you had? No, I no. just
1: – just the idea of the thing being in, in your dog? <laughs> dog, yeah. Um, but, yeah, that was terrifying. It's still terrifying to this day because <laughs> – just on a final note on the thing before we move forward into the last discussion um, it could happen once again i think there are bacteria on this planet and certain fungus and uh, in the last of us which was began as a video game
2: yeah it was like it was like a, it was like a fungus like a mushroom
1: sure well that mm. exists in nature it does because it affects amazonian ants Specifically, I
2: that's think. right. Yeah, I've seen that before,
1: right? But that if that mutates into a human form, I'm not saying it's exactly like the thing, but it's enough of the thing to make it not a very good ending for us, you know. Um, so I think maybe as a primal fear, we know that the monster within, or the bacteria within, or the parasite within. Is very possible. Now, alien parasites, I'm sure they exist too. So are and I just, you know, obviously we don't know the answer to this, but what do you think about the fact that once again, you know, science fiction writers as prophets are channeling these things that somewhere out there, there's something just like the thing?
2: And you know what? There there probably is. You know, whether or not we come in contact with it. And, you know, the remainder of the human existence is yet to be known. But I mean, I feel like the more we think as humans, and like you said, like it's not so much really being it is like being a prophet in a sense, because I feel like every science fiction writer or every horror writer that's existed in time, somewhere along the line there's a lot of truth to it. Or it's it's truth that's yet to be discovered or yet to be invented with technology. Um, you know the fact that something like that exists is—I is, think it's highly probable, definitely somewhere out there in the universe.
1: Well, let me know when it gets here because I think that's the time that uh, I don't know. I'll freeze myself in ice. Who knows? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that—that is not a way to go. Remember when? Uh, well, any one of those guys that died from the thing is not any way you want to go. No, <laughs> not at all. <laughs> But um, okay, so we could have gone through a hundred different horror films tonight. I did want to talk about The Shining because it also has its unique reasoning, I think, for being so terrifying. And it's, it's, yes, hauntings are terrifying, but I think what makes The Shining truly terrifying more so is the destruction of the family and, and the father figure becoming something to fear. Um, tell me how you feel about that. Um,
2: you know, a lot, I almost feel like the, the Kubrick's film is, you know, we all know it's different than King's book. I mean, I know it's always been a, a big, big issue. Um, but when you look at the film and it, the destruction of the family in the film, you have this, the sun going off and he's experiencing all these odd things, you know, uh, you know, Jack Nicholson's character's becoming insane and you know he's slowly becoming some something that he's not um it it really was a film before its time because if you look at the way the nuclear family is now um especially over the the past few years and again i you know i bring technology into it there's not a lot of family time anymore and there's i mean there's a lot of you have a lot of families that are, are broken apart a lot of divorces i mean the the divorce rate is higher than the marriage rate in this country. Um, you know, you have a lot more kids that are going off on their own, doing different things. Uh, it's all these little things that break a family down were exploited in that film. Um, you know, I, I see sometimes even with my own kids as a father, you know, uh, especially with the cell phones and the technology and man, I could, I could go crazy over, over this topic. Um, and how it relates to to all different films that are out there now. Um,
1: Yeah. I mean, but this way of thinking brings up ideas for more horror films, you know, Mm -hmm. this discussion alone to me, it's like, wow, you know, I, I, there were many seeds planted for other film ideas just, just from this discussion.
2: And, you know, it's also like, you look at the shining and what went on in that film and how it ends and, you know, that's that supernatural element of like, what if there's these these spirits or these demons and they're taking over people's bodies and making them the way they are? Um, and, you know, you bring your own spiritual beliefs into stuff, too. Um, you know, you always there's always like that. What if factor? Like, what if they really were possessed or is it like some kind of mental disorder or, or something in the environment that creates madness within people? You know, I I work with people that have Alzheimer's and and dementia and there's this thing called sundowning where when it becomes dark outside, some of these people actually get violent. And, you know, they they'll hit and they'll scream and they'll yell and they'll do all kinds of crazy things. Uh, But there's also that that side of you that says that, that, you know, almost sometimes I say to myself, well, what if maybe 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 there is like possession there somewhere you know
1: i yeah i know i, I certainly consider that I, it's been a discussion you know that there might be these kind of lovecraftian you know uh, amorphous energies that cling to us and amplify perhaps anger violence um confrontation even certain desires You know, and then whereas some cultures perceive them as demons or possession, um, that they could be these, when I say Lovecraftian, I mean like, you know, um, some of the things that were written in like from beyond, the idea that there's this other parallel existence all happening at once. Maybe we can't see each other. Maybe they kind of float around and attach themselves to us and they just thrive off of extreme emotion, you know we don't know because we're not truly exploring any of these ideas, but I think that there are strong possibilities.
2: Yeah. And, you know, getting back on the whole, the family subject too, um, you know, I look at it a lot, you know, I see it with my own family, with other people's families. um, You know, I have, I have siblings and everything. And, you know, one of my, one of my, my sisters just went through a horrible divorce and, you know, it's kind of, tore apart her, her family with her sons and everything. And, um, you know, technology has a play in it. Like I said before, like I see with my own kids with the cell phones, they're obsessed with the cell phones and it's hard to even make family time. Uh, you know, it's like my daughter sits down at the table and you know, she takes out her cell phone and, and me and my wife are like, put your cell phone away, have a real conversation with us just today. My, my, my daughter got in trouble for school. She got her phone taken away in school for just having it out. And you know, it's. Technology takes away from family time and you know, there's all these different factors of pressure also. Um, you look at the economy, you know, people losing their jobs, that's another thing that takes a takes a you know, a hit on the family. Uh and I feel like there's, you know, there's the horror films out there like The Shining and Hereditary, like that exploit that, that destruction
1: of the nuclear family being that we've really lived through kind of a dark age and we're kind of still going through it. I mean, we're only in the beginning of 2024 and, um, I have a feeling we're going to see a lot happen this year. I don't believe it's going to change with a whimper. I think I I would like for that to happen, but I think some odd things are going to happen between now and whatever change we go through next year and the year after. And so, but with that, you know, artists are out there and they get inspired to tell stories. And in a lot of times when times are dark, the movies are heavier and the horror films are darker. Do you feel that we'll see a lot of horror films in the next, within the next decade or the rest of this one, um, that touch upon everything we've experienced? They must, right?
2: Oh, oh definitely. Without a doubt. I think there's a, I think horror is having this re- resurgence now with, uh, with films that touch on these topics that we touched on tonight and do go, and they are starting to go deeper into the meeting. I mean, yeah, we're always going to have our, our, um our slasher films and such, but I feel like it's going in the right direction. Again, I felt like there was a little bit of slacking for a while, but now I feel like certain films that are coming out are really touching on, you know, the problems that we're going to face in the future and the problems we're facing right now.
1: Yeah, it's going to be an interesting time to to live through and make movies in, too. Um, and, I, you know, part of me is looking forward to it. Uh, we could have lived through very mediocre times. And then there's that other part of me wishing that we could just go back to 1985, 6, 7, 8, 9, and just relax for a while. I'm with you 100% on that. <laughs> <laughs> well, Bob, thank you so much. It's been a fantastic discussion. I really appreciate it, man. And, uh, oh, anytime thank yeah. you for having
2: me on again oh thank it's a lot you of fun
1: yeah man come back again and we'll do this again uh, Is there anything you want to say on the way out? uh
2: just keep making good horror films all you horror filmmakers out there think about what you're writing and think about what you're doing and try to make some good films.
1: Welcome back to off to the witch i'm your host christopher Garatano, and i want to thank you for joining our conversation tonight it's interesting to know why we're triggered into fear by way of fiction there's something whether it be terror or joy that we all share and it proves that we're more connected and alike than we allow ourselves to know until next time